Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Parents can praise their kids to boost their self-esteem and to also teach new skills without correcting them. So the way that I help parents use praise is to, you know, focus on smaller things that their child is doing in an effort to get them to do bigger, harder things. So, you know, maybe your child, they're struggling with like cleaning up their room, for example, and you notice that they they started with making their bed or they put some of their toys away. Those would be things that you could praise, even if they're not all the way to where you're wanting them to be with cleaning up their room without being asked. So you can be really specific with your praise and say things like, thanks so much for helping me. Thanks for cleaning up your, your room. I really appreciate all of those things that you did with cleaning today. Those make kids feel good and it teaches them new skills a lot of times. Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctorate in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Carrie Jackson, who is a licensed child psychologist, speaker, and author working in San Diego, California. She has published over 20 articles and book chapters relating to parenting, ADHD, and defiance. Uh, in addition to her private practice, Dr. Carrie Jackson is also an adjunct professor at the University of San Diego, where she teaches child therapy to marriage and family graduate students. Dr. Carrie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. That was such a nice introduction. Oh, yes. It's always fun. I always love meeting uh, other people in the profession and other uh, people that, that do what I do, because it's just exciting to be able to learn new tips and tricks. And I know today we're going to be talking all about ADHD, which I know is pretty common. And I think there's going to be a lot of listeners out there that are going to want to have more details about it. So I'm excited to chat with you. Me too. I'm excited. ADHD is my favorite topic to talk about. It's mainly what I work with too. And I'm so happy we connected also being like in the Southern California area. I think it's really funny that I had no idea you were in that area. And now we connected over that. So that's really cool. Yes. And now we'll have the opportunity to not just speak over a computer. Maybe one of these days we can actually meet in real life and <laughs> go grab a coffee yes. and, and chat, um, which is always fun. I was like making new friends, you know, online. I think that's just one thing uh, even pre-pandemic, that's been really neat is is just making connections online. And that's one thing social media has done and uh, even podcasts and different things has done. Uh, and I just, I've met so many new people in the mental health profession, even just through this podcast alone and all the guests that I've had. And I just, it's really neat just to learn and glean from their expertise. And I always learn something new as well, um, even with things that I do with my clients. And it's just, it's, it's great. And I love that you also work with, with children in the sense of most people I know work with adults, couples, you know, and it's, it's neat to find someone who specializes with kids as well. So uh, excited to yeah. today. 
Um, but we're gonna be talking, like I said, all about ADHD. So let's just first start with helping parents understand what symptoms to look for. What what are they gonna see at home to know, hmm, maybe my child might have ADHD? What what are some things they can look for? So I think like starting off thinking about ADHD, um, there's actually three different presentations. And so the the signs that you see in one child might be completely different than what you see in another child. So there's like the hyperactivity, which is what a lot of people think about when they think about ADHD. So when kids are hyperactive, that means like they often do things without thinking about them first. So they might be running around the house a lot more, doing impulsive things, like jumping a lot, getting into more accidents, have a lot of trouble waiting their turn, interrupt a lot. All of these things can be really typical kid behaviors too. But at the same time, like for parents of kids with ADHD, it's like to another level, which impacts them a lot. So that's the hyperactive side. But then also there's like the inattentive side, which a lot of people think like, oh, I don't have ADHD. I have ADD. Now it's actually all under the same term of ADHD. It's just you're more inattentive. So that's when you're distracted. You might tell your child to do something and then, then it's like in one ear, out the other. Um, they forget about as quickly as you told them to. They might fidget still. They might have trouble sitting down and focusing. But a lot of it is that trouble following directions and trouble focusing on things unless it's something they really enjoy doing, like video games, for example. Right. Right. And is it possible that kids can have both? Is it possible they could be hyperactive and inattentive? Yes. Thank you for, for reminding me on that. So that's actually the third presentation. And also, like one good thing to note is that like even if your child is more hyperactive as a really young child, they might actually become more inattentive as like time goes on. So if you're diagnosed with one presentation of ADHD, that is not set in stone actually. And it can present differently at different times of your child's life. And we usually see like inattention come out more so as kids get older. Whereas when they're younger, you see much more of that impulsivity, that thinking without acting and really those, those emotion regulation difficulties also across the board with ADHD, like trouble calming themselves down quickly. Right, right. And I definitely see that too in my practice. Uh, I feel like this is probably the most common diagnosis I work with. I don't know if you'd agree on your end, but I, I definitely think it is on mine. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard sometimes because there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of interventions that we can do as therapists, you know, working with these, these children, um, you know, with these symptoms, but it's hard because half the time you're trying to, to, you know, get them to do something and they're off running, you know, running around or they're not listening or, you know, um, but it's, it's, you know, there, there's so many things that parents can do. So I just want to give them a sense of hope that, you know, there, there is things that you can do at home. There's things that you, if you, if you get a diagnosis and go to a therapist, there's things that, that can definitely help minimize, you know, those symptoms, even without medication. That's a whole nother story. But um, now tell me what differences do you see with gender uh, when it comes to symptoms in boys versus symptoms in girls? Is there a difference or do you see difference? And if so, what are those? 
Yeah. So with girls, you're more likely to see all of those inattentive symptoms that I just mentioned. Whereas with boys, you're going to see more of the hyperactivity and the disruption um, at school in particular or at home. So overall, it seems like girls, for some reason, they present more inattentively, but also there just may be some more bias as far as how people are diagnosing ADHD in girls versus in boys. You know, you always hear about, oh, well, boys are just being boys, you know, with that disruptive behavior. Um, Like, they're just like having fun. That's much more typical and common. And so a lot of the times, like girls will go undiagnosed because when they're being inattentive, it's like they seem more distractible and just like, it's much more socially acceptable to present inattentively in a classroom. You're not, you know, causing issues with a teacher. And so because of that, unfortunately, girls will go undiagnosed a lot of the times and they're much more likely to be diagnosed later in the teenage years or as an adult um, than boys who are diagnosed much younger. Yes. Interesting. And, you know, speaking of, of age of diagnoses, I just want to ask you, so parents know out there, when, when, what age does a child typically get diagnosed? Because I've had a lot, I work with real little ones sometimes, and I'll have parents come to me with a two-year-old or a three-year-old. And like you said, some things are very developmentally normal at that age group to, you know, to act a certain way and behave a certain way. Uh, And then, you know, usually when they get to school, like you said, sometimes symptoms become more obvious because you're in the more structured setting versus maybe a less structured setting at the home. So what age would you suggest parents really looking for these symptoms or in what age do kids typically get diagnosed with ADHD? Most commonly kids get diagnosed when they're seven years old, because like, that's like a big school, school age time where you're starting to see like more of these challenges at school. And a teacher who has tons of kids might say, Hey, you know, I have noticed that your child, they're having some, some more difficulties and maybe you should look into a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, but with that being said, like kids can be diagnosed earlier too. And so um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they say that four is the youngest age that you can accurately diagnose kids with ADHD. And there's research that does suggest that if a child is diagnosed with ADHD at four, those symptoms actually do continue to show throughout their their age um, as they grow up. But as a provider, and I'm sure you feel this way too, sometimes it can be really hard to diagnose when they are that young because, you know, it can be hard to see like if it's normal or or if they're not in school or if they're not in daycare, you really need the perspective of somebody else in addition to the parents to be able to understand what your child's symptoms are like. And so, but I also tell parents, you know, like even if you're seeing those challenges at a young age, you can get support from a psychologist or a therapist and they can support you regardless of, of whether or not there is a diagnosis of ADHD. So if you're seeing challenges, go to your pediatrician, therapist, psychologist, and seek that support. Yes, 100%. I'm so glad you mentioned that, actually, because, you know, there's a couple of, of kiddos that I've worked with, and they don't qualify for an official diagnosis, but I still treat them in the same way because of the symptoms that they're presenting. And so I think that's really great. And a lot of times, since I don't work with insurance boards, I'm a, I'm a private, you know, pay practice Um you know, so I, I don't technically diagnose if, if I if I need to resource out or, you know, I will. But, you know, I don't typically do that, but I still treat them as if they may have that with the same types of skills and techniques that I would use if someone who was officially diagnosed. And, you know, I know as a parent, it's, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of parents I work with to accept a diagnosis of any kind and even of ADHD. So 
you know, it's, it's hard because you know, that kind of stays with your child all throughout childhood into adulthood and things like that. Um, and a lot of times they may not necessarily want a diagnosis, but they want different accommodations. They want help. So I know there's different things out there that parents can take advantage of, especially in the school setting. Um, there's IEPs, there's 504 plans. Can you describe a little bit about what those are, what the differences are between them and maybe some accommodations that parents might get if they actually get the diagnosis, this is what can help them and help their child in the school setting. Yeah, you bring up such a good point about like the the possibilities that a diagnosis can open up because there is so much stigma around having a diagnosis of ADHD that leads a lot of parents to not seek out that diagnosis for for their kids, which I completely understand, you know, not wanting your child to be labeled. But um, if your child does have a diagnosis of ADHD, there are lots of options for support and particularly at school, like you mentioned. So the biggest ones I think of are 504 plans or IEPs. And these are school support systems where your child can receive extra support that can support them at school, educationally, behaviorally, and emotionally. So um, with the 504 plan, these include accommodations like extra test taking time, minimizing distractions with where they're sitting, um, more visual schedules. And then IEPs, they also have like specialized instruction. So that's the main difference between the two. And if your child is struggling with something like reading or writing, they can often get support through that specialized small group instruction with an IEP plan. And so those types of accommodations and and IEPs can be so helpful for kids with ADHD when you have that diagnosis, because a lot of the times schools need that diagnosis in order to have an evaluation to see if your child meets qualification um, for those services. So I found them to be super helpful with the parents that I work with. Um, I'm not sure if you have too, but most parents I think do do tend to appreciate the support once they take that step towards it. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I have, I found that too in my practice that, you know, parents want the support, you know, they, like I said, there is a stigma still to mental health and different diagnoses like ADHD, uh, but they also do, you know, like the support and need the support. Um, so there's a lot of things that come with that too. So if you have, let's say a, a school support plan set up, but then you also see someone like us, you know, on the side that could help just on, on different multiple levels. Um, and then I also do parent training too. And I'm sure you do as well in your practice where we're not just treating the child, we're treating the parent too, and giving them techniques that they can use at home as well. So I don't know if you have any, you know, special tips and tricks that you want to share with us today on what are some things that parents can do at home to help their child if they are showing any type of ADHD symptoms? What can they do differently? We were talking before we started recording about one of my favorite ones, and you mentioned it's one of your favorites too, is actually praise is one of the most helpful skills. (laughs) So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, So praise, like most parents do praise their kids. I think that, you know, that's just like something many parents do do, but there are actually ways that you can make it like a therapeutic skill for kids with ADHD. Um, Because if you think about like a child with ADHD at school or at home, you might have to give them a lot more correction than other kids. So they might be receiving more negative statements from teachers and from students. I think I've even heard quotes where it's like kids with ADHD receive 20,000 more negative statements than kids without ADHD. 
Um, so those can have a lasting impact on a child with ADHD's self-esteem and how they're feeling. So to counteract that, parents can praise their kids to boost their self-esteem and to also teach new skills without correcting them. So the way that I help parents use praise is to, you know, focus on smaller things that their child is doing in an effort to get them to do bigger, harder things. So, you know, maybe your child, they're struggling with like cleaning up their room, for example, and you notice that they they started with making their bed or they put some of their toys away. Those would be things that you could praise, even if they're not all the way to where you're wanting them to be with cleaning up their room without being asked. So you can be really specific with your praise and say things like, thanks so much for helping me. Thanks for cleaning up your, your room. I really appreciate all of those things that you did with cleaning today. Those make kids feel good and it teaches them new skills a lot of times. I even like I love a praise as an adult too. I think it's a great skill and you know, parents can really understand how it can can affect kids' self-esteem also. Oh, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't like praise? I mean, everyone likes some external validation once in a while. You know, that's, I think, just human nature. It's, it's, but kids, especially with kids with ADHD, but kids really need it. They really need that intrinsic motivation to clean their room or even to behave. I mean, they need to learn the behavior expectations and then get praise for when you catch them doing them or catch them being good because research, I'm sure as you know as well, has shown that kids will repeat the behaviors that we're paying attention to. So if we're constantly paying paying attention to the negative behaviors when they get in trouble, that's what they're going to get their attention for and that's what they're going to keep repeating. But if we pay attention to the behaviors they're doing right, then they're going to show us that in return. And something else uh, I know since I work with praise so much too is I like how specific you were when giving the praise. I think a lot of parents will just say something like good job or I'm proud of you today. And it's very blanket statement, very, you know, vanilla, if you will. Um, But you need to, you need to throw in the real specifics. Like I'm really proud of you for making your bed. I'm really proud of you for sitting still for five minutes while I try to, you know, trim your hair or you know, whatever it is, but to be as specific as possible. So that child knows exactly what you're praising them for and what behavior to repeat again, because children innately want to, you know, please their caregivers. So um, I think that's just really important to note as well when it comes when it comes to praise. So and, and one more thing too. let me ask your opinion on this real quick, and then we'll take a quick break. But I want to ask you when it comes to praise, a lot of parents will say, I don't want to praise my child for something they should already be doing. <laughs> I, already I knew know. what you were doing. <laughs> I already know what my response would be, but you're my guest today. So I would like to ask you, you know, if a parent said that to you, what would your response be to that? Or what is your rationale behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, it would be great if kids did did things without being asked. I, I agree with parents. And sometimes it does feel like, you know, why do we have to praise them for things that we expect them to do? And at the same time, I have parents look at like your own experiences. So like think about like when you have your own boss and you have a boss that you're doing everything for and they're not acknowledging you at all. How does that make you feel? Do you want to work harder for them? Probably not. I know that I don't. And the bosses that I work the hardest for were the ones where it's like they acknowledge my efforts. They make me feel good. And so, you know, those are the reasons why we praise things even when they might be expected because it helps kids learn to do them more and they appreciate it and it builds your relationship with them. So um, that's my response. How do you typically respond when parents say that? 
I will give my response after this quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all-around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life, and sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. Okay, so we're coming back in from break, and uh, you asked me a question before we went on break about how I respond to parents who say something on the lines of, I don't want to praise my kids for things they should already be doing. So my response is typically, when when, when children are growing, uh, cognitively, really, when they're growing, they learn by us, the parents, the adult caregivers. And we need to be the ones teaching them the behavioral expectations. If kids don't know how to behave or, you know, what they're supposed to do to behave, then they're just going to be kind of aiming in the dark, right? So if we say you need to behave when we go to Target today, what does that mean? What does that look like? Does that mean using a quiet voice? Does that mean using walking feet? Does that mean, you know, whatever, Um, it's the parent's responsibility to teach the child what those behavior expectations look like. We can't just expect our kids to know how to behave because we know what the answer is, but they're in such a a molding, modeling, sponge, you know, (laughs) gripping age where, you know, we, we need to be ones to do that. So when parents ask me about that, I say, well, well, no, I mean, they at first need to learn extrinsically. They need to learn by you praising them. Good job for making your bed, good, good job for putting your dishes in the sink or your shoes in the, in, the, in the bucket in the closet. You know, when you get home from school, then they know, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to repeat that behavior. But if you never teach them that, then you might get upset as the parent because you think, oh, my child never does what they're supposed to do, but you never taught them in the first place. (laughs) So I say praise away, you know, praise them for everything. And then eventually you wean off of it. It's not forever. And then eventually it becomes intrinsic where they start doing it on their own because they want to, they want to behave well, they want to please you, they want to, you know, maybe even get a high five or just a good job. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, praise, you know, giving them tons of reinforcements. And I, I do believe in circuit charts and things like that, but, uh, but it does wean off eventually, but I, I say praise away and praise for everything, especially when they're little. And as they grow, they won't need that anymore because they're going to learn and they're going to know. I love that. Like the idea of like setting the appropriate expectations is so important. And that and praise is a good way of doing that. And you also brought up like how, you know, it's something like you can like wean off and you can really focus it on what is most challenging in that moment. And I completely agree with you. So many parents, they come with the worries about like, well, is my child going to be spoiled or entitled or are they going to only look for that external validation? Um, you know, like they want it to come from within and actually like praise, if it is genuine and sincere, does not hurt a child's motivation and they don't become the people pleaser. So 100% agree with you on that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, and it can be intermittent too, right? I mean, I'm sure you do this in your practice where it doesn't have to be every time because then the child might expect it every time. Um, But if, if they say, Hey, I used to work in schools and we'd give, you know, kids little good behavior tickets when we caught them doing something good. 
And sometimes they would say, oh, look, I picked up that piece of trash, Dr. Kim. Do I get a ticket or do I get a, you know, a little special reward? I said, you know what? You do. You get a special high five. Good job. They wanted the ticket because the ticket led to like a class raffle or whatever it was. But I didn't give them that because they were asking for it. I just gave them the praise in a different way. You know, it was a verbal praise or a high five or something like that. And then it was more intermittent. So they didn't become to expect it. So I think there's just so many different levels that we could, you know, talk about with praise. That could be a whole nother podcast episode, actually. But I know we're here to talk about ADHD. But yes, it is very important to praise children and especially with ADHD because, like you said, kids with ADHD typically do um, get more negative attention than the positive. So we kind of need to flip the script a little bit and give that to them. Um, so that was great advice for parents to do at home. Um, some other advice I want to ask is, what are some of your favorite tools for parents to use at home? Like, do you have any favorite fidgets or something that you'd recommend for parents to have on hand um, to help their kids maybe be more attentive, uh, good listeners, or even, you know, just kind of focus, maybe some games they can play, anything like that? So when you were, you were asking me about tools, like the things that I thought of were actually not like toys or, or um, like fidgets, but I did think of like two things that I really love for parents of kids with ADHD. So the first is like, an Alexa or a Google Home device. They are amazing for parents of kids with ADHD and I use them in so many different ways. Um, so like a lot of the times, like parents of kids with ADHD will get into arguments about the routines in the morning and the evening. And uh, one thing that parents have done is actually using Alexa or Siri to their advantage, where Alexa and Siri is the one giving the child the instructions to get ready or setting the timers that way in order for kids to start getting ready. And then parents often find takes on the stress off of them. And kids actually like the kids like the Alexa or Siri telling them what to do more. So um, I had one family where they were like super um, tech savvy and they managed to use Alexa and Siri to like change the lights in their house to different colors for each step of a child's routine. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That is so cool. <laughs> so cool. And it's like a game for kids. So they, so they really love that. So I think that that is like one of the coolest, coolest things ever. Um, and then I actually, so I, there is an app for, for kids that I have started using a lot that I love. It is called Smart Cookie. Have you heard of that one before? I have not. Tell me. I have not heard of that one before. So I'm sure you know that string time is just like a huge challenge for kids in general. Um, and so Smart Cookie, it is a way for kids to earn screen time. And so it's like a really cool gadget on a phone or on a tablet where in order for kids to earn screen time as a reward, they answer educational questions in order to receive it. And like it links to your computer or all the different devices. And so it automatically turns it off. Like it's a brick basically until they answer those questions. So I think like those tech savvy types of interventions and toys are really, really helpful for kids with ADHD. I love those so much. Um, yeah, yeah that's, so. that's a cool app. I think parents should use that despite if there's any type of diagnosis or not. I mean, that's great for universally for kids, you know, to be able to earn screen time in, in that kind of a way. Um, of course, you know, I'm a play therapist when I, when I ask a question about what toys do you use? <laughs> or what 
digits, yes. <laughs> um, which I know I share a lot about, you know, in different games to play with kids, like Simon Says, I Know I Do a Lot, or Red Light, Love. Green Light, right? Um, and you can go fast, you know, and say say the instructions really fast, or you can have them go in slow-mo, so they have to be really impatient, especially if they're having a lot of impulsivity, um, you know, of being patient to wait for the next instruction and being, you know, listening really intently and, you know, all sorts of things. And I love fidgets, and especially in schools, as long as they're not a distraction, especially with the little ones, but um, just can help so much, obviously with stress relief, but then also just to keep kids focused. Sometimes you just have to have that. And that's something in accommodation with a 504 plan can do is, is have different things like that because kids can't typically bring toys to school and fidget sometimes can be considered a toy, especially if they become trendy, um, like poppets. <laughs> so, yes, um, you know, but having a 504 plan might enable that child to bring something like that to school and actually use it in the classroom as long as it's not disruptive you know, to help them take a test or, you know, to, to get through, you know, quiet reading time or something like that. So um, I definitely think that's something, you know, parents um, would look into, you know, to do that. And, and where would they go? So let's say that there's a parent at home listening to this and thinking, I just want to get my child assessed. I just want to know if they have, you know, a diagnosis, if they don't and kind of where to go from here, what would be their first step and what should they do next? I always recommend parents start with the pediatrician first. Um, that's usually a great place to start because a lot of pediatricians actually can diagnose ADHD and they'll often use screeners like the Vanderbilt, which is a great way of assessing for ADHD. And then you don't have to wait for a full psychological evaluation, which often is not needed for a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, but there are times where that is needed. And if it's not straightforward, but still starting with your pediatrician can be helpful because you may need a referral if you are going through insurance. And so um, starting like that is is definitely very helpful. And um, if you do want a psychologist, you can always look, you know, at near your area through your insurance panel, or you can use psychology today as one of the ones that I often refer parents to, to find um, someone who can evaluate for ADHD. Yes. And I love psychology today too. I, that's always one of my biggest recommendations, especially whether they live in, you know, California or not, I, I use it, um, you know, just because it, it is great. You can see the therapist pictures and then, you know, their expertise. And then sometimes the child can pick and, and even just, I know it sounds like, you know, you shouldn't, this probably sounds bad of looking at someone and, and thinking, oh, that person might be my therapist, but they might be able to connect with someone just by looking at their picture. Because I feel like with kids, especially connecting with their therapist and making them feel safe and with someone they trust is such a huge component of therapy. I think even more so than the actual therapeutic interventions themselves, because kids are going to be much more willing to, to uh, cultivate change if they trust and feel safe with their therapist. So I think even just looking at them and having the child be able to help pick the person that might be working with them, I think is, is really helpful. So I love that too. Um, okay. We are out of time, but Thank you so much for being on the show today. I loved our conversation about ADHD. Where can our listeners find you for more information and what other resources can you share that you have? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to connect with you and to share this information with everyone that is listening. So um, for everybody listening, so I am a licensed psychologist in Southern California. I'm accepting clients. And so I'm actually in the process of changing my website. But if you search drcarriejackson.com, that's where I'm at right now. But I am also on Instagram and TikTok at the.parent.therapist. And there I post lots of free resources for parents of kids with ADHD that can really help similar to the skills that I shared today. So 
Um, I've got a few free guides for parents. And then I also have um, some other resources that you can check out and that can help you no matter where you are at on your parenting journey. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, have a great day. And thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.